Hello and welcome to the Rice Historical Review Podcast. My name is Eddie Plow and today I'm joined by Dr. Lodmila de Sosa Maya, who is a postdoctoral fellow at the Rice History Department. She has published several articles in top Brazilian journals, and today we will be discussing Dr. Sosa Maya's dissertation, Travelers in Skirts, Gender, Literature, and Travel in the Lives and Writings of Nicia Floresta and Adela Toussaint Samson, uh, as well as her general experiences in academia, in Rice, and in Brazil. Dr. Sosa Maya, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you, and and thank you for having me here today. We love having you here. Um, the we want to get as many people from the rice history community as we can to talk about their work and their writing. Along those lines, could you explain the basic idea of your dissertation? Uh, why did you choose these two authors, and what do they tell us about? What do their lives tell us about their times? Of course, that will be my pleasure. So my dissertation. It's about the relationship between gender and writing in the personal and intellectual trajectories of the Brazilian writer Nisia Floresta and the French author Adèle Toussaint. So I try to look at how their uh, gender influenced their experience as writers and also as travelers in the 19th century Atlantic world. So basically... I was looking at how domesticity and writing took a place in their lives and also the relationship between displacement and authorship also was part of their their struggle during the 19th century. Besides that, I also look at how aging and generation was important and how they uh, conceived their memory about their own path in regard to their literary production. Obviously, a big part when studying travel logs is an audience is very important. Understanding like why they're mm. writing is very important. Who are these women writing for? And obviously, their their time influences them, and th- their experience influences them, and their uh, experiences of displacement influence them. But who, how does their audience influence their work or their focus? Um, this is a very hard question to answer because. We, it's not very easy to get uh, the feedback people were having on her, on their uh, works. However, we can guess that based on their own travel logs because they sometimes have a dial- dialogue with her or their supposedly audience. So they, they give us tips uh, mm-hmm. of what they perceive as a supposedly reader. So I think it's it's very important when you read the, all the travel logs by them, you can see the difference how they write, for example, for a, a Brazilian audience, how they write for a French audience, and all the time they are trying to be very critique of their their places they are looking at by showing how other places that they had visit were much better. Mm. So when they write to Brazilians, they they say how Europe was so much more civilized. But when they are in, in Europe, sometimes they write saying that actually Brazilians were much more civilized than they <laughs> the actually... Grass is, the grass is always greener yes. in the other continent. So <laughs> they, they do this kind of... And also they they are particularly interested in invested in female readers. Mm. So sometimes they write to a broad audience, but sometimes they focus on the on the other women. Mm-hmm. Is that obviously? I imagine that's not common for the time. Is you don't have. I, I, I'm doing for my honors thesis a study of, of English travel logs uh, about a century earlier. But I imagine that female travel logs are a very like, unique sort of thing. So 
them writing to women makes makes a lot of sense because there's probably not a lot of authorship by women mm -hmm. at the time. When I f first started, I had also this impression that, of course, women are traveling less than men. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they are also writing less mm -hmm. uh, than men. But it's not very uncommon as I or we sh could expect. Hmm. Uh, actually, we are going to find lots of women that are following their husbands as and diplomats as and go. also mm -hmm. uh, writing about these this places. And some women like Nisia Floresta, for example, she's just a traveler. She just decided to move and she's not following any husband or just her desire to discover other places. So there are also a lot of women like her that is also um, writing travelogues. So it's not as what it is important is that they were silenced in mm -hmm. history and literature. Mm -hmm. and it's, that they're left out even when they do write. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. In your article summary of your dissertation, which will be on the uh, our SoundCloud page if people want to read, which is very interesting if you don't want to pour through a massive dissertation but want a very good sense of the interesting arguments um, discussed, uh, you argue that women's role in Brazilian abolition was different from that of the traditionally expected in the Atlantic world and that women in the Atlantic world were in very involved in a different way in the abolition movement. What do, you, what do you mean by that? What is that? Why was it a different sort of involvement in abolition in Brazil? One thing that we have to have clear is that they are writing about uh, Brazil in 1850s. Mm -hmm. At that time, in 1850, it was the year that Brazil abolished uh, the transatlantic slave trade. But that was more due to international pressure than to their own desire to abolish the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, so at that point, during the 50s, when Nisia Floresta and Adel Toussaint are writing about uh, slavery in Brazil, there was no discussion about abolition. So the only thing that was abolished was the transatlantic slave trade. And the discourses were also about how we are going to survive without slaves, because the whole society and the whole economy was based from top on to bottom is based on slavery. slavery. Mm -hmm. um, so they could not even imagine how they could live without them. Mm -hmm. So, Because it's not just the economy, like you say. It's like an upheaval of all of social yes. order is based around the hierarchy created by even slavery. Even the freedom of black people were based on the property. of. It. So the one way of black people would have to protect themselves was to having an, a slave. Mm -hmm. That would prove their freedom. That they are free because they, <laughs> oh wow. So the whole society was based on that. Because of that, they were also, there, there were discussions on immigration, European immigration, but also discussions on how to make, the, make slavery last for as much as they could. Mm -hmm. So in a way, their discourses against the cruelty of slavery in Brazil also has this tension towards an abolitionist discourse, but also towards, a, look, we need to take care of these people. They, they need to reproduce. And they, in that way, slavery can last. Mm -hmm. So there is this tension. When they move to Europe, then the abolitionist side of both of them will be more explicit because I think in Europe they would be comfortable 
to talk about yeah. abolition. Mm-hmm. And in Brazil, that was a you kind could of not talk about it. Yeah, it yeah. was like more hard too. Mm-hmm. There, there was no uh, abolitionist movement before 1870s. So even after the the trade stopped. 20 yes. Years beforehand. So 20 years to created an abolitionist movement. So at that time, they were just talking about or, and writing and denouncing the cruelties of the system, mm-hmm. but not the system itself. Huh. So it, it was like they were making the best of what really was a, like the society based truly on slavery. So it's like with with no option to really vent abolitionist sentiment, you all you can really do is decry the cruelty. That's really interesting. Yes. Uh, you mentioned that newspapers of the mid-19th century, sort of along the same lines, avoided making specific calls for abolition. Is it f- for the same reason? Because there isn't really the abolitionist movement? Or is it part of the like appear, desire to appear non-biased? No, it was the same thing. I think it wasn't a public discourse that you could make mm-hmm. at that time. It was not just in the you know agenda of the society. So Brazilian society war was not working with that possibility of abolition at that time. So I could find lots of uh, information and news about denouncing the cruelties, the suicides of slaved people, mm-hmm. how cruel the uh, the, sep- the separation between mothers and enslaved kids. All of this I could find, but not much of uh, discourse uh, on abolition. On abolition. Hmm. Uh, do you think that this this discourse, like you you describe um, the depictions of human flesh markets by uh, Toussaint, and uh, do you think that this helped like create the strategy for inevitable like abolitionist sentiment that by depicting slavery's cruelty, you bring sympathy for the cause in the long run? I think so, but she's also very concerned to distinguish herself as European mm-hmm. from the Brazilians and showing to her European readers how exotic Brazil was mm-hmm. at that time. So it was this kind of discourse I think she was more invested to in, mm-hmm. in doing. But also Adele published in a time where when she assembled her writings in a book, it was a, already a time that people could make this claim, mm-hmm. an abolitionist claim of say, saying how cruel and slavery is and how we should not have slavery anymore. Could you compare and contrast the writing of these women a little bit? What sorts of things did they focus on in their discussions of Brazilian slavery? So they have different views of slavery, and this is also different among time and space. So Adele has less written about slavery. Mm-hmm. So she has these memoirs in Brazil about Brazil, her time in Brazil. So she has these uh, memoirs o- about her time in Brazil that she describes scenes of slavery. And Adele is very, it's much more sympathetic to female uh, enslaved women than Nisia Floresta, for example, mm-hmm. the Brazilian one. The other thing that I I noticed is that Adele Toussaint is always paying attention to slave work, and that like the nature of the work, 
like what they're doing? Dating? No, it's just that Nisa Floresta, she takes slave work for granted because mm-hmm. she's used it to that to them in the landscapes and the s- scenes of the As city. As kind of running running the show. Yeah, and mm-hmm. Adele is always pay attention to to the slaves, even though most of people would take them like would consider them invisibles mm-hmm. because they are just doing their job. Like just the help, like in the background. Mm-hmm. She pays attention to because because uh, that actually makes a lot of sense because she's not from a the culture play. so fundamentally built on it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And also, Nisa Floresta, she, she really changes her way of looking at slavery throughout her life. So first she didn't mention them, and then she goes to Europe for a three-year-long trip. When she came come back, when she came back, she started to look at slavery because then she stayed three years without mm-hmm. seeing three them. Three years without it. It's like you suddenly... You so then it. slavery became a big issue. And when she moves to Europe, definitely, after some years, mm-hmm. she, she died in Europe. She stayed like 30 years of her life there. Uh, then she became an abolitionist. And then she starts to make the claim of abolition. But she's less sympathetic to the to women if compared to Adele. Mm-hmm. She is denouncing the cruelty of slavery in general, but Adele Toussaint has more gender solidarity mm. than Nisia Floresta. That's interesting. So how did you go about conducting your research on these two women? Were these travel, travel logs difficult to find? Did you have to go anywhere to access them? It was. It is very hard to do research on women mm-hmm. if compared to men, because women in general they they leave um, they left less traces of mm-hmm. their lives, especially in Brazil. So it was really hard to find anything about Nisia, even though some of her travel logs were already published or available, and I had to go in different cities in Brazil to in different archives. And because of the lack of sources, I had also to employ a microhistorical approach by trying to figure out where she was mm-hmm. and look into the context and to other sources and to the sources about the men surrounding her because the man had, uh, I, I could find the man mm-hmm. of her family. So you see, then you'd use that to find her. And then I, through the context, I could find her. In Europe, it was easier because they have more uh, an archival tradition. Mm-hmm. So I, I visited different archives in Paris and also in Rouen, in the city of Rouen. Mm-hmm. And I also could find some archives in Italy as well. well that's really cool. Sort of along those lines, could you talk a little bit about the dual degree program that you did between Rice and Unicamp? Like, was it a difficult transition moving from Brazilian academia to American academia? Or do you feel like the dual degree program kind of helped to tie the two together? So I would first talk a little bit about the dual degree. Mm -hmm. So the dual degree program is a PhD program in history done at Rice University and at the State University of Campinas, one of the top uh, Brazilian universities uh, in history. So when the student uh, from one country goes to, ne- to the other, the, this student has to take courses there and stays about one year. And when we, we finish our dissertation in our mother language, mother tongue, we have to write a 
article summary of our dissertation in the foreign language. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say that it is difficult, but it's very challenging to be in another mm -hmm. country with another. Is there, is there an element of like you have to compress what is so much work in Portuguese into English? It's not even just the... Uh, like the, the language transitions are, but it's just compressing all of the work. Yes, it's, it's not only the language, but the style, the way mm -hmm. you say things here. It's not the way you write mm -hmm. things in, in Portuguese, for mm -hmm. example. So it it is a very challenging moment mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to compress you, that. Yeah. One thing you mentioned in um, the class I took with you in Brazilian continuity and changes, and you mentioned it again in your when you were presenting this article to some members of the Rice Department, was the distinct styles in which where you can find arguments in articles and papers is in American um, academia. And you'll typically, it's very obvious what the argument is. They're very specific. It's always here. It's always in the, it's always like, um, explicitly stated, whereas the, the Brazilian academics like to hide it a little more. And sometimes yeah. you might read a, a long article or a dissertation and it'll have no argument at all. <laughs> yeah, the, those are the examples I gave like of bad articles okay. in Brazil. But what I think because Romance languages have more mm -hmm. like I can I can see at least more mm -hmm. poetry. <laughs> I that. imagine it's much nicer to read too. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea is that you are going to take your reader with you in a poetic prose mm -hmm. through to, a story, through a story, yeah. and you are gonna go to the all the nuances and complexity of uh, some character's life, and mm -hmm. then in the end you will present your argument. So it's not the same as writing and saying the first paragraph what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. um, well, I'm glad you were able to share your argument with us. Make sure to check out Dr. Sosa Maya's Travelers in Skirts, Gender, Literature, and Travel in the Lives and Writings of Nicia Floresta and Adela Toussaint Samson. This has been Eddie Plow with the Rice Historical Review podcast. We're hoping to have another productive semester of podcasts and have more members of the Rice History community on the show. Thanks a lot. <laughs>